John chapter 12, we're going to uh, cover from verse 37 down to the end of the chapter, verse number 50. Uh, Once you have found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter number 12, we'll read from verse 37 down through verse 41 in our opening. The Bible says, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. This is the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be, uh, that the saying of Isaiah, rather, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they uh, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, and understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal him. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory... And spake of him. The title of the sermon this evening is this Blind Eyes and Hard Hearts. Blind Eyes and Hard Hearts. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had developed. They had developed blind eyes and hard hearts. It got to a place where God made their hearts even harder. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I pray you'd help us to give ourselves an honest evaluation of where we are where our eyes are, where our hearts are. Lord God, help us to be people who see truth. And Lord God, live by truth. Help us to be people, as I preached this morning, that wear the yoke of tenderness, that have that meek and lowly spirit, lowliness of heart. And God, where there's a hard heart in the room tonight, would you break it? There have been seasons in my Christian life where my heart was hard while I sat on a church pew. Lord God, there no doubt there's one or two or more here that way tonight. Would you pull back the callous? Would you give them a heart that's tender toward you? And Lord God, help us not to be Pharisees, but help us to be true disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In my years of life, I have met some hardened people. I'm talking about folks who seem to lack real sympathy or empathy for others as they hurt. Someone along their journey, somewhere rather along their journey, they chose to close their eyes to the needs of others and they chose rather to selfishly live for themselves. They began to put themselves first and cease to care about the needs of others. I'm talking about people who are Hard-hearted toward truth. They, they live a life of lies. They have no problem walking over the emotional casualties that they create in their deadly, hard-hearted tirades. I don't know about you, but I want eyes that see clearly. I'm not just talking about physical vision, although I do want eyes that see clearly. I want spiritual eyes that see clearly. What can you do with good spiritual vision? What can you do with good spiritual vision? You, if you have good spiritual vision, you can see the hand of God at work when nobody else can, when the average person cannot, you can see the hand of God at work. 
when hardships come into your life, you don't see the hardship. You see the hand of God at work in your life making you a better person. You're having a hard time getting along with your spouse or your kids. You're having a hard time with a, a work a co-worker or a hard time with a boss. Or you're having a hard time with a neighbor. Or you're having a hard time with a church member. Maybe even butting heads with a deacon or the pastor. And you think to yourself, why is this so hard? Well, you get to a place when you have good spiritual vision where you can see the hand of God at work in your life. When blessings come your way, you can see the hand of God at work in your life. You don't just think, oh, I just happened to get a raise, or oh, I just happened uh, to, uh, 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 to, I just happened upon this uh, blessing in my life, or I just happened upon uh, this uh, great find in the store, this, uh, I had a need and it was uh, filled uh, in some way. No, it's not just left up to happen chance or circumstance. You can see the hand of God at work in your life and you're quick to give Him credit. How about when a loved one dies unexpectedly and you're crushed? You get that call and you find out a sibling or a parent has died who you thought was healthy. As you grow in the Lord and you have spiritual vision, you can even see God's hand at work in that too. Have you ever been in a car accident and thought maybe you should have been far more injured than you actually were? I have. Have you ever almost been in a car accident and thought to yourself, how in the world did I avoid that? You know what you begin to do? You begin to see the hand of God at work protecting you. I don't know about you, but I want my spiritual eyes to be fully functioning at a level of 20-20 vision. And I sure don't know about you, but... I want my heart to remain soft and tender toward other people. I don't want to have a hard heart toward God or toward you. I've learned that as a Christian, I need to have two things. Write this down. I need to have two things. Tough skin and a tender heart. Tough skin and a tender heart. Maybe you word it thick skin and a tender heart. Thick skin and a soft heart. Hey, if somebody says something that's unkind in my direction, I want to move toward them. I don't want to move away from them. Somebody's got a problem with me. I want to, I want to love them deeper. I don't want to push away from them in a reactionary manner. I don't want to harden my heart toward them. I want to move in their direction and love them more. Hey church, it's easy to develop a hard heart toward others. It's easy. It's easy to shut down on somebody when we don't like the way they're treating us. That's easy. Why do we harden our hearts? Well, we harden our hearts toward others because they hurt us and we don't want them to hurt us again. And so instead of presenting them a malleable, vulnerable heart, we clam up and shut down our heart and say, no, you're not going to do that to me again. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm going to put up this wall. Through my years, I've known some pastors who've been in church ministry for 25, 30, 35 years. And what I see is that they're hardened men. 
And what I mean by hardened is they're mean in the pulpit. You ever heard a preacher who was old who was just downright mean in the pulpit? Oh, I've heard my share. I mean, they're mean. And uh, you think, well, maybe they're not so mean outside of the pulpit. They're worse. They're worse. And when you get them to be friendly to you, it's real shallow. And they've got this wall up. And, and, and listen, if pastors don't do it, their wives do it. I'm not here to talk about the hardship of being a pastor because I want to more make, make this about being a Christian. But I know a whole lot of pastors' wives who've been hurt. And what they do is they're tired of being hurt, so they put a wall up and say, I'm not, just not going to let anybody in. I've known Christians that do that same thing. They put up a wall. I'm, not, I'm just not going to let anybody in. I'm, I'm going to keep you out there at a distance because I don't want you to hurt me. What is that? That's a hard heart. That's a hard heart. That's a hardened heart of, I'm not going to be tender. I'm not going to be meek and lowly of heart the way Jesus has called me to be. No, I'm going to keep you out there. I'm going to stiff arm you by all means, and I'm going to be hard-hearted toward others and their needs. Somebody does you wrong, it's very easy for you to harden your heart so that the next time they can't hurt you quite so easy. Oftentimes, people harden their heart toward God. Why would somebody harden their heart toward God? God does not sin against you. And if you're sitting in this room tonight and you're mature enough in the Lord, you know that God does not sin. God cannot be immoral your direction. If bad things have happened in your life, you may be tempted to point your finger at God. But the reality is, is that God is good and Satan is evil. If evil has happened in your life, point the finger at the devil and go running into the arms of the Lord. What a lot of people do when evil happens in their life, they point their finger at God and they go running into the grasp of the devil. Why is it we harden our heart toward God? You all know what I mean when I say that at some point, at times in my Christian life, I've let my heart toward God get hard. You ever let that happen in your life? Where you just kind of, eh, whatever. Why do we do that? It comes down to a three-letter word. Sin. It's just sin. We harden our heart toward God because of sin. It isn't because He's mistreated us. God is good to us. Sin is always the reason why someone hardens their heart toward God. The context of our passage tonight is about hardening your heart when it comes to salvation. But many Christians fall into the trap of hardening their heart toward the Lord after they're saved and hardening their heart toward His leading. I propose that for someone to get to the place where God blinds their eyes and where God hardens their heart, they must first do those things on their own. They must first choose to walk in darkness and they must first choose to harden their own heart. Listen, God does reject People. And we'll see that in our passage spelled out very clearly tonight, that God does reject people. God does harden hearts. God does blind eyes. But He only does so after people have chosen to do that on their own. We're going to look at three thoughts out of John chapter 12 as we consider, once again, the Pharisees and Jesus and consider this title, Blind Eyes and Hard Hearts. Let's jump into the outline tonight. Notice number one. The completion of prophecy. The completion of prophecy. Um, look with me. Uh, well, let me give you a letter A here. Letter A, notice their intentionality 
in unbelief. Their intentionality in unbelief. Look down with me at verse number 37. But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. You see here, before we get into the part about God hardening their hearts, we see here that they're making an intentional choice not to believe on the God who had done all these miracles before Him. That the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he said, and this is a quote from Isaiah 53, 1, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed. Now, by my count, there are 36 distinct miracles recorded in the Gospels. There are also references made to dozens, if not hundreds, of others. In fact, if you look at the very end of the book of John, John says if all of the miracles of the Lord had been recorded in a book, the earth would not be able to contain the volume of the books from all the miracles that Jesus did just in His short three and a half year ministry. And uh, that is an astounding uh, thought of of how that could be. But uh, Jesus did hundreds and probably thousands or tens of thousands Thousands of miracles during his earthly ministry, yet these people who saw these miracles or were told of these miracles on a regular basis, they believed not. They believed not. Understand that these religious phonies chose on their own first to not believe in Jesus. They are the ones that saw these miracles and hardened their hearts and blinded their eyes and chose their unbelief. Now, Romans chapter 1 explains that God gives everyone two calls, two calls for salvation. Romans 1 gives two calls for salvation. Creation, creation, which is a call from without, and a conscience, which is a call from within. Everyone is born with a conscience, and everyone has the ability to walk outside and look up at creation. Everyone has that ability. Take your Bibles over to John 16. John 16, you're in 12. Just turn over a couple of pages there. So, everyone's got creation, and everyone has a conscience. Everyone has creation, everyone has a conscience, and that conscience is the moral laws of God written on our heart. We know that it's wrong to lie. No one has to tell us it's wrong to lie. The first time you told a lie and got away with it, you felt guilty over it just like I did because God gave you that conscience. Uh, we, listen, if you were to go out and take someone's life, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night because deep down inside you have a conscience that knows it's wrong to take someone's life. God built that into you in an attempt to draw you to Him. Everyone can walk outside and they can look up at the sun and the moon and the stars. They can see the trees and the grass and the birds. Uh, They can see all of the wonders of the ocean and the lakes and the ponds. And they can see all of the light that's out there. And there's only one logical conclusion to come to is that where you see this beautiful creation, there must be a creator. But if that wasn't enough to draw you to salvation, God also sent His Holy Spirit into the earth for the purpose of drawing sinners to salvation. Look at verse number 7. John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter shall not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he, this is the Comforter, or the Holy Spirit, is come, 
He will do what, church? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Look at verse 9. Read it with me. Of sin, because they believe not on me. You see that? Humanity does not naturally believe in God. They're born, Jesus said in John 3, they're born under the condemnation of unbelief. So why does the Holy Spirit come into the world? To take people that don't believe in the Lord and turn them to a place where they will believe in the, in the Lord. So we have three things working in our favor to help lead us to salvation. We have creation, a call from without. We have a conscience, a call from within. And we have the Holy Spirit, Revelation 3.20, that knocks on our door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And so here is this draw for salvation. No one goes to hell because God made them to send them there. Nobody. Nobody goes to hell because God made them to send them to hell. Everyone who goes to hell does so because they make a free will choice to reject their own conscience uh, where the, the moral laws are written on their heart, creation cries out to them uh, from their Creator, and the Holy Spirit has been seeking to draw them, and what do they do? They reject the Holy Spirit, and as a result, their heart is hardened. They harden their own heart. The book of Acts gives us two examples of two men who followed the light of conscience and creation that were given to them as they pursued the light they had. They were given more light. Who were those two examples? The Ethiopian eunuch and the Roman centurion Cornelius. They both had a little bit of light. They walked toward that light in an attempt to know more and they found more light and more light and more light until they got saved. Make it very clear, salvation is a free will choice. Period. God doesn't reach down and just magically grab you up against your will and save your soul. No, you make a choice to repent from unbelief to belief. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Pastor, why are you spending so much time on this? Why are you preaching this so passionately? Because across Christianity today and across the Internet, there is a sweep of Reformed theology coming through our independent Baptist churches telling people that uh, you didn't have a choice of being saved. God chose you to be saved. And uh, Listen, uh, if God chose you to be saved, you didn't have a choice of the matter. No, salvation is a free will choice. They saw the miracles and they chose not to believe. We see their intentionality in unbelief. Letter B, notice their inability to believe. Their inability to believe. Look at John chapter 12 again, look at verse 39. So after they saw the miracles and chose not to believe, they got themselves to a place where God forbade them uh, uh, to believe. Look at 39. Therefore, they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again... He that blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So these people, these Pharisees, had reached the point of no return. The Holy Spirit quit drawing them to salvation because of their rejection of his convicting hand. Does God harden people's heart? 
According to these verses, clearly he does. Remember Pharaoh? Does the Bible not say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Right? But long before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh had chosen to harden his own heart. Have you ever heard of the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost? What is the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost? Can I tell you what I believe the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost is? Well, let's stop and think about what the purpose of the Holy Ghost is here on earth with people who are lost. The the Holy Ghost, His goal is to get sinners to repentance and salvation. And when a person pushes away and pushes away and pushes away and pushes away, you know what happened? The Holy Ghost says, okay, fine. Then I won't draw anymore. You are rejecting my call to save you. You are blaspheming me. That's fine. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to draw you anymore. Take your Bible over to 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, if I were to take a stick of butter and I were to take a bowl of clay, and let's say both of these substances are malleable, they're both soft. I've got a soft bowl of clay, and I've got a stick of butter that's soft, and I take them outside, and I set them down under the hot sun, in the middle of an August day, I put them right next to each other. What's going to happen to that stick of butter? It's going to melt all over the place. What's going to happen to that clay? It's going to harden. Did the sun harden the clay? Yes. Did the sun melt the butter? Yes. Watch this. The same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay. Here's what you need to understand about this idea of God hardening people's hearts. God is immutable. Let me explain what that means. God is always the same. He doesn't change. God's character toward me is the same as God's character toward you. Are you listening tonight? God is no respecter of persons. He does not create some for heaven and the rest for hell. That would make God a respecter of persons. The Bible directly says He's not a respecter of persons. God in His immutable character shines down on the hearts of man. Some men present God clay. Some men present God butter. And those who present God butter are tenderhearted and come to salvation. Some men present God a heart of clay because they're sinful and they're blasphemous and they're hateful toward God. And so the character of God hardens their heart while the character of God leads another one to repentance. I remember one time I stood up here and I preached a sermon and boy, this was early on in my pastor. I preached my heart out and just about preached the paint off the walls and uh, at the invitation I had some people down here at the altar and I mean they were boo-hooing and crying and getting their heart right with God. And one person was here at the altar even after the service was over. They were still here at the altar. They were weeping and crying and, and, uh, thank, and, and, and thanking me up and down for the sermon, how it was just revolutionary in their life. And I went back and I stood by that door and I was shaking hands and somebody came up to me and shook my hand and said, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. One person still down here crying while this guy's ready to cuss me out in the back. Both people sat in the auditorium and heard the same sermon. You see, the sermon was the same for both. But one person had a hard heart 
the other person had a soft heart. In fact, you could say that my preaching made their heart even harder than it was before they walked in. You see, when God hardens someone's heart, it is not God's fault. It is their fault. Now, pastor, is there an example in the Bible where God was trying to draw someone to repentance and they denied that? Yes, there is. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall be in damnable heresies. Look at this next phrase. Even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. How did the Lord buy them? By dying on the cross for their sins. And what did they do? They denied the Lord that bought them. Boy, that sure seems to fly in the face of limited atonement, doesn't it? Right there. Listen, uh, Jesus didn't just die for those who are the elect. Jesus died for everyone. And 2 Peter 2 verse 1 says, These false prophets denied the Lord that bought them. And as a result, what happened? Swift destruction. Verse 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Here's the truth. If you reject the miracles of God that are around you long enough, God eventually will harden your heart and you no longer will be drawn to salvation. He will harden your heart. I remind you of the individual. I stood at by their deathbed in the Hagerstown Hospital in Maryland. I gave him the gospel just hours before he would die. And after I got through witnessing him, he looked at me and said, I cannot get saved. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I heard that message uh, some decades ago and my heart was stirred and I was being drawn to salvation, but I denied and rejected and now I have no desire to believe. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. Salvation is a free will choice that you must make. Why did the Pharisees end up, many of them, in hell? They ended up in hell because they saw the miracles and they hardened their heart. Eventually, God said, let me finish the job. Number one, we see the completion of Isaiah's prophecy. Number two, notice the cowardice of the rulers. The cowardice of the rulers. Not everyone wrapped up in the Judaism religion who saw the miracles developed a hardened heart. Many of those under the thumb of the religious order did truly believe in Christ. Letter A, we see their private belief in Christ. Their private belief in Christ. Letter A, their private belief in Christ. Look down with me at verse 42. John 12, verse 42. It says there, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. How can you uh, witness a man teach the way Jesus taught and do signs and wonders the way he did and not believe on him? I mean, really. You're watching him raise Lazarus back from the dead. 
You're watching Him give a man born blind sight. You're watching Him take someone who has the palsy in the man's hand, extend and be fully functioning. You're watching someone who is lame and cannot walk, and you've seen Him outside the, that synagogue uh, uh, begging for money your entire life. And the next thing you see is Him walking up and down the road, and He says this, He said, That man Jesus touched me, and He made me whole. How can you listen to Jesus teach and see all the miracles that He would do and not come to the conclusion, this man is the Messiah. This man is who He says He is. Many truly did believe in Jesus. But they were not going to openly declare it. Their private belief in Christ. The workplaces of America are filled with what I'll call secret service Christians. Secret service Christians. Uh, if I were to walk uh, into your place of employment and I were to say, hey, old Joe over there, uh, he's a believer in Christ. And everyone would say, what? Well, that's news to me. You should hear the way he talks around the water cooler. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I buy that. Oh yeah, old Stevie over there. Uh, he's a faithful deacon at White Oak Baptist Church. He's a deacon? What? <laughs> Excuse me, I need a minute. I need to sit down. He's a deacon? And so many Christians are secret service Christians. They don't want other people to know that they're saved because maybe that would change their unethical business dealings of how they are moving up the company chain. Many, many Christians are secret service Christians. Hey, neighbor, how come every Sunday morning you get in your car and you leave? Where do you go so regularly on a Sunday morning? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a, in a community hall, you know, and I've, I've got a social gathering on Sunday morning. What, you going for brunch? Something like that. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, we eat sometimes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm going for brunch. We, I mean, we even have a coffee bar where I'm going. So, yeah, I, secret service Christians. Secret service Christians. Their private belief in Christ. Let her be their public denial of Christ. Look down at verse 42 again. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. Look here. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. It was going to cost them something. It was going to cost them a status. And they weren't willing to lose that status, so they stayed quiet about Jesus. And then look at 43. I love how John just goes straight at exposing the motives. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What a statement. They were more concerned about the praise of men than they were the praise of God. And I began to think about if there were some examples of said chief rulers that we know of in the Bible. John is vague here and does not give us any names, but if you know your Bible, you know that Nicodemus would have been one such ruler. Joseph of Arimathea would have been another such ruler. These two men were not willing. They were not willing to publicly identify with Christ because they loved their position within the Sanhedrin. And while they maybe did not miss out on the praise of men, can I tell you what they missed out on? They missed out on possibly the 
upper room experience with the other twelve disciples. They missed out on uh, seeing the work of God firsthand and directly being taught by Him and trained by Him. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 10. It says they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Many people who have believed in Jesus are too fearful to take a stand and declare their love for the Lord at work or at home or at a family reunion or at a store or in their neighborhood. Why? Because they would rather have the acceptance or praise of men than the praise of God. I love Matthew 10.32. It says, Jesus speaking here, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. This verse gets me excited. I mean, it, it really gets me excited. Can you imagine the God of the universe having a conversation about you? Wow. How does God the Father and God the Son have a conversation about you? You are openly confessing Him before men. And God openly confesses you in heaven. Well, how does this tie back into our title, Blind Eyes and Hard Hearts? When we crave the praise of man more than the praise of God, we cower away from our convictions and end up living lives of deep compromise. We let things go we shouldn't let go in our families. We let things go in our conversation. We let things go in our entertainment choices. We let things go so that we can fit in and get go along to get along. You know, sometimes when you take a stand for what's right, it's going to cost you something. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with being set aside. And uh, you have to be okay with uh, distancing from family as a result. You have to make a decision somewhere along the way. Am I more loyal to the Lord or am I more loyal to the acceptance of man? I, I thought about those words. Brother Javaid, when I put this sermon together, I had read that prayer letter some weeks back. And I was emotionally stirred as he said, we're going to a place where we're going to be in hostility preaching the gospel. If you expect us to preach the gospel there on your behalf, then I expect you to preach the gospel in America on our behalf. We're doing it under hostility. You get to do it with great freedom. Church, why don't we go? What is it that's holding us back? Are our eyes blinded? Jesus healed a man of blindness and he, he asked the man, what do you see? And his response was, I see men as trees walking. And I think sometimes that's what we see when we're in the store. I think that's what we see when we're walking through life. We don't see men as souls. We see men as trees walking. They're just an object. They're just there. They're, they're sometimes even in our way. We have blind eyes. We have hard hearts. We care more about the praise of man than we do the praise of God. We operate out of a place of cowardice. 
Now, I want you to notice there in verse 43, their cowardice led to their lack of conviction that led to their compromise. Look back at 43 and see how those play on top of each other. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Look at 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees. There's the cowardice. They did not confess him. There's the lack of conviction, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There's the compromise. Too many Christians walk through life compromised. And if Satan can compromise you, then you are not effective for the Lord. Number one, the completion of the prophecy. Number two, the cowardice of the rulers. Let's bring it home. Number three, the clarification of Christ. The clarification of Christ. Amidst all of this confusion about who Jesus was and what His purpose was to be, He steps up and He adds some much needed deeper clarity. Letter A, we see, speaking of Christ, we see His message. Look down at verse 44 and 45. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Notice the distinction there. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Jesus was saying, I am God, but I am distinct from the Father. He and I are not the same person. We'll see that distinction drawn uh, throughout here. One being, yet three persons, is God the Trinity. Look it down at verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day for I have not spoken of myself but the father which sent me he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak and I know that his commandment is life everlasting whatsoever I speak there uh, therefore even as the father said unto me so I speak Salvation, according to what Jesus is saying here, is as simple as believing in Jesus, the Son of God. How do you get to, how do you get to the Father? By believing on the Son. By believing on the Son, that gets you to the Father. One day we'll have perfect union in heaven with the Father through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the famous verse in John 14, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is saying here, uh, if you believe on me, it's not me actually that you're believing in. It's the Father. He said, I didn't come into the world to judge you. I came in the world to save you. I think back to John 3, where Jesus said that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is looking at these hard-hearted and blinded Pharisees. He says, listen guys, it's not my place to judge you. It's my place to love you. It's not my place to cast uh, stones at you. It's my place to love you. I came to die on the cross for you. That's how Jesus could hang on the cross. And He could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And one day the Father will hold them accountable. One day the Father indeed will judge them. His message was clear. I am God wrapped in flesh. I am my Father's Son. If you know me, you know Him. If you believe in me, then you have believed in Him. Likewise, if you reject me, then it is the Father that you have rejected, and He one day will judge you. Now, John chapter 12 is the last place we find where Jesus has any debate with the Sadducees, Pharisees, or religious phonies. 
John chapter 13 to the end of the book, he's going to turn his attention on his disciples. And he's going to focus on teaching them and loving them. John foregoes a lot of the talk that we find uh, in much of the other Gospels. And he focuses on Christ's intimate relationship with his disciples. The next time Jesus has an interaction with any of the uh, religious elites, it will be at trial where they're uh, trying to have him put to death. Uh, this, this, this here is the last interaction Jesus has with this crowd. Letter A, we see his message. His message is clear. Believe on me and be saved. If you don't believe on me, then you're rejecting the Father and you will be condemned to hell. Letter B, we see his mission. His mission. Look down at verse 46. John 12, verse 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. What is it like to walk in darkness? How many of you here have ever gone uh, on a trip down into a, a cave and uh, maybe took and taken a tour down into a cave? I know Virginia's got some caves like this. There's some other places where you can go down into a cave where it is pitch black. Anybody here ever done that, taken a trip to do that? Have you ever been on one of those tours and they say, all right, everybody, stand real still, and they just shut the lights off? And it's so dark in there you can almost feel the darkness. You know what I'm talking about tonight? Is there any difference between that type of darkness and blindness? There is not. You all understand how the human eye works, right? You ever been in a dark room and someone just flips the light switch on? Right? And that pupil had been real big to gather in as much light as possible in that dark setting. And all of a sudden it's blinding, Right? you ever been in a bright room and someone just quickly turns the light off and you can't see anything? We've all been there. And in time, the pupil opens up wider so more light can come in and you take in that little bit of ambient light and you can make your way around and you can discern things. What about when all the light is removed? Your eyeball, no matter how big that pupil is, cannot gather in any light and it cannot see. And people like that are walking in darkness. It is the same thing as walking through life blind. And Christian, when we choose to be a disciple of Christ and walk behind Christ, we are walking in the light. But when we choose to live life our way and live apart from Christ, we know not at what we stumble. We stumble in the darkness. That is how we get to a place of having spiritually blind eyes. Why am I going to continue to encourage you and push you to be faithful to church? Because this is a place where the light of Christ is shined bright. Why am I going to continue to daily pick up your Bible and read it? Because this right here is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, and this will help shine your path bright. Why am I going to continue to push you and prod you and encourage you and poke you that when life gets tough, to bend a knee in prayer? Because when you spend time in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are walking in the light. And when we cease to do those things... We begin to walk in darkness, and our eyes grow blind, and then our heart grows hard. I don't want to walk by my own sight. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want my eyes to see clearly the truth. I want to be able to love each person God's put in my path, especially those people God has put in my path who are walking in blindness. 
I want to love them with a heart that's tender and compassionate and gentle and good. But to do that, you and I must walk in the light. Are you walking in the light? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. Do you have a hard heart? Have you been stumbling around in the spiritual darkness? Making decisions based on secular thinking? Have you ceased to see men and women as souls? And do you just see them as trees walking? Does your heart burn when you see the needs of others? Or are you calloused and cold? Maybe tonight you need spiritual cataract surgery. Maybe tonight you need God to take the sledgehammer of the Holy Spirit and break your heart again. Lord God, I pray that you deal with each one of us individually. Holy Spirit of God, show us where our hearts have grown hard. Where our spiritual vision has grown dim. And Lord, help us to walk in the light. Thank you that you are the light. May our relationship with you be rich and real and strong. May our devotion to our Bible reading time and prayer and church be, be robust and real. Lord God, if this church would be filled with men and women who deeply loved others the way that you love us, we wouldn't be able to build a property big enough to hold all the people that would come. No doubt, Lord, many of us in here tonight, on some level or another, have a callus that needs to be pulled away, have scales that need to be removed. Help us to be honest with ourselves this evening and not to deceive our own selves. Lord God, work in our midst. Spirit of God, move up and down the aisles here tonight and convict hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet.